1 Corinthians 15, which we got down through verse 28 last week. Does that leave anything uh, anyone would like to say before we proceed with the lesson? We will therefore continue to read beginning at verse 35. And we will read uh, without too much discussion because some of the main verses in here call for discussion later on. So we'll begin reading at verse 35, Sister Ann. But some men will say, How are the dead raised up? What body did they come? Now to that which thou sowest. That which thou sowest, not that body, if it shall be, but bare grain. If it can, can we or some other grain. things that will come up in this lesson we have already discussed 
So some of it will be a matter of review. And after reading uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we, are, we shall consider point 5 in this lesson. Questions asked, what is the present state of those now dead, but who during their lifetimes had believed the gospel and had been baptized? So we look at uh, chapter 15 again, and we'll read verses 17 and 18, and then verse 20. Read those again. We read them last week and discussed them somewhat. Verse 17, please, next reader. Uh, we'll read verse 19, too. Keep on. And 20. So the apostle here is doing some reasoning, which uh, always should be done, reasoning from the scriptures and rightly dividing. And he is endeavoring to answer those in the, in the Corinthian Ecclesia, as we discussed last week, who denied the resurrection of the dead. And uh, his point is, if Christ isn't raised, as we discussed, your faith is vain. It doesn't mean anything. It has no basis in fact. You're yet in your sins. And, they, and then he says, they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So to keep from perishing, which means utter annihilation for all time to come, He's holding out a hope of a resurrection. And that resurrection is guaranteed by something. And what is the guarantee of a future resurrection for those of the Corinthian Ecclesia? Hmm? And who said that? Who said that? No, Christ said that. So, we look at verse 20 as the guarantee. But now, here's the guarantee, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? And we discussed last week as to how many hundreds of people saw Christ after his resurrection. So that is the fact of, uh, of the situation on which their faith could be based. They were therefore not of all men most miserable. But they were the only ones in, uh, we'll say, the city of Corinth who had any hope. Corinth was known for its dissoluteness and its uh, evils and wickedness. And this ecclesia was contending against some of those things. And against the paganism that they had come out of, they were tending to drift back into by denying the resurrection. So we begin to answer our question then. How is one to be saved? I, well, no. What is the present state of those now dead? They're, they're asleep in Christ. And they have believed the gospel and been baptized, therefore they have a hope. Let's look at, at Hebrews 11. Please, Hebrews 11. 
we'll read verse thir- uh, verse uh, 13 before reading uh, read verse 13 first yeah Now that verse, these all died in faith, has to do with his preceding verses in which he mentions Abel and Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah as being among those who had faith. And that faith caused them to have a hope. These all died in faith and not having received the promises. What did they have to have happen before they could receive the promises? Yes, but they had to go through something. And what was it? They had to have a resurrection. That's the subject of he's dealing with. No, these all died in faith. We were talking about that. Now they had to have a resurrection. And their faith and hope in order to inherit the promises, must be preceded by a resurrection. So it, it was... That's right. They're asleep in Christ. And some of them have been for uh, 6,000 years, Abel, for example. So they had not received the promises, therefore they were to inherit those promises following a resurrection, if they were worthy. So the resurrection stood between them and the inheriting of the promises. So now we look at verse 39 and 40. So then he, he uh, in previous verses, has outlined the lives of those who had also died in faith subsequent uh, to the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they suffered for uh, their faith. And uh, he says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. No. The order of things in which those people lived and died, the world about them wasn't worthy of any wit the world of their day and some of the people of their their day was blessed for their sakes just as possibly there are some today who are blessed for the sake of the righteous but the world wasn't worthy and they were not to inherit in this kind of world order the world order must be changed so they also received a, a good report through faith and had received not the promise and where do we come in Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us. Paul is including himself and all those who have lived since the the, uh, age of the uh, apostles, that they who had preceded the apostles should not, without us, should not be made perfect. So the whole scheme of things extends, the whole scheme of the promises of God extends from Abel's day 6,000 years ago on up to our own time we reach the end of God's 6,000 year plan 
and uh, a resurrection lies in between our inheriting the promises along with those of past ages and entrance into the kingdom of God. Any question then on these verses? All right. Yes, that, uh, I said we're living in in the end of the in the end of the age. The kingdom of God lies ahead, and uh, we have reached what scripturally are called the last days of Gentile times. All right. Any further questions? Well, if all right, you want to read those? No. Those are very good exhortations. nothing further on that we'll go to number six and the questions asked when will the dead in Christ be resurrected we read verses 22 and 23 and discussed them somewhat last week we read them again verse 22 and 23 of 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 22 was to have been read. Now we discussed that pretty fully last week. Does anyone would care to comment on those verses? We, 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 uh, we distinctly talked of those. And the answer, uh, the question here is asked, when will the dead in Christ be resurrected? When will he? When will they? At his coming. That's correct. And Christ, then having already been resurrected, glorified, and at the right hand of the Father, when he comes, that opens the door for the resurrection of those in him who have had faith, and thus they share with him in not only in the life that lies beyond resurrection, as he has already as the first fruits come into immortality so they if they're worthy will come into the same uh, life uh, being made alive in him even so in Christ shall all be made alive that is given immortality we look at 1 Thessalonians 4 which we've dealt with in previous lessons a very good one 
1 Thessalonians 4, verses 14 through 17. This again is the process uh, of resurrection. Some of the process. Verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. These are very explicit. And we discussed them at, at length two weeks ago, or such a matter. And it gives us the, uh, the linkage in that 1 Corinthians 15 chapter as to the order of some of the order of some of the events in which the Lord shall descend from heaven. Uh, and when he does, he will bring with him those who have, that is, he will cause to be raised from the dead those who have been uh, uh, of faith as was spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, and uh, uh, those who are alive and remain such as we, some of us very possibly will be will then after the resurrection of those who are dead be caught away together with them as a group to meet the Lord in the political firmament that will be established in order to set up the kingdom of God. All right, tell us about that. Hmm? Yeah, that's right. Go before. That's right. further comment or question? Alright, number 17. The question here is based on the 35th verse of 1 Corinthians 15, so we go back to that. And the, the author here says, how are the dead raised up? And that was the first scripture we read this morning. Some men will say, how are the dead raised up? So they were putting Paul to the test in this. He was guaranteeing them a resurrection. But he anticipated some of their thinking, which was, well, now look, Paul, these dead are going to be... Well, what body do they come? How do they come forth? 
what condition are they? And many of them at that time and even today as they go on in this chapter as we opened with a consideration of the 51st, 52nd, and 53rd verses particularly 52 says and Paul is telling here how they will be raised up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed now we've discussed that somewhat but that phrasing in this King James Version in, in years past, in our generation, previous generation, have led some to feel that they sprang forth from the grave in an immortal state. That is known, phraseology, as immortal emergence from the grave. Now, is that a true understanding of this verse, that they'll come forth from the grave immortal? No, it can't be. Why can't it be? Correct. The purpose of resurrection is to bring forth people and give them, uh, make them alive again and restore their memories, as we've discussed, so that they can give an account of themselves. As Paul says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give account of the things done in the flesh. So if they came forth immortal... Would, would giving an account mean anything? No. The purpose of judgment is to separate the two classes who are subject to the resurrection. And what two groups or classes are they from Scripture? The just and the unjust. That's right, Edward. So then there must be an immortality given them not in the grave, is is there is 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 the grave the source of immortality in life? No, we come forth from the grave as we went into it with the same kind of mortal life, not immortal life. We come forth from it with the same kind of life we went into it. We are brought before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account, and if we are worthy, then we are immortalized. We are then raised to incorruptibility and changed for that purpose. Any question? It's as simple as it can be if we think about it. The judgment is not in the grave. It's before the judgment seat of Christ and the reward is given after judgment. Therefore, after resurrection. Now, the author here has an answer. Paul uses the analogy of the sowing and germination of seed in order to answer this question. Please reread his analogy in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So we'll read those now. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, 43, and 44. Apostle here is outlining this, this matter. 
and he's likening it to a two kinds of bodies a natural body on the one hand which if worthy can become a spiritual body but it first must come forth from the grave as a natural body uh, and, and the author here continues his thought or expands it and tends us to what does Paul mean when he says concerning the dead ones it is sown a natural body you care to discuss that or regards the sowing, uh, the, the author here continues to expand the, the thought of a definition of sowing under number eight. Sown, the, from the Greek word spiro, means to cast out or scatter, as in scattering the seed on the soil. Compare this with Isaiah 26, 19, and a quote there, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now, the, the author seems to feel that the sowing then is a casting out from the grave, a standing forth from the grave. And the dead, uh, he continues, the dead are to be cast out of their graves living, but corruptible flesh and blood beings, much like they were before they died. Now, that's very much like Dr. Thomas uh, tells us, uh, gives a thought on that in anastasis that we may come to. But as we read the sixth chapter of Romans last week, and we discussed from that chapter very fully the fact that we are dead to sin, that we should not live any longer therein, that uh, we should walk, in newness of life. Now walking in newness of life today is a song. Do we have proof of that in Scripture? Yes, we do. 
The Apostle Paul gives us that in Galatians. Please turn to it. The sixth chapter of Galatians. The uh, seventh and eighth verses. Now this links up with the this kind of life we should live after we have been baptized. Verse 7. Yeah. Now, Bill or, or Louise, here we have a sowing, don't we? The Apostle's talking about it. He uses the same word. When do we do this sowing? Now. We're doing it now, every day. The kind of lives we live, uh, if we're in Christ, is a form of sowing. We either sow to the flesh or we sow to the Spirit, as he talks of here. Now, as Brother Earl has said, we come out of the grave in the same body that the sowing was done today. But following the thought of the author in and Dr. Thomas in this, the casting out of the grave. Now, our sowing today is from our, our action, our point of view. This coming out of the grave is also a sowing subject to the power of God through Christ. The dead shall be cast out of the grave or that word spiral, Greek word, or sown. Now, we come to, to number nine in this consideration in order to uh, expand this thought. What does Paul mean in verse 44? It is raised a spiritual body. And he has, has here a definition of the word raised. Greek, Egyro means to rouse from disease, ruin, or death. Or to paraphrase the saying, it is roused from death to become a spiritual body. That is the casting out of the grave in the natural order in which we are today in the mortal state. It is roused from the death to become a spiritual body, to become, to be changed, like Jesus became after he had ascended to his Father's nature. So then, the casting forth from the grave is a form of sowing. Compare 1 Corinthians 15:53. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. This means that the righteous, dead, and living, after being approved at the judgment seat of Christ, are to experience the indescribable ecstasy of the physical change in their bodies during which mortality might be swallowed up of life. And that word life is from the Greek word zoe, as in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.4. And 2 Corinthians 5, 4 reads, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. 
that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Well, that was a quotation there uh, that he gives here. Now, is there any is there any any question here? It's not not the easiest thing in the world to understand, but uh, there is an indication that sowing takes two forms or times in our lives. Today we're sowing if we're walking uh, in the light as He is in the light. If we sow to the flesh, however, what do we reap? What, Louise, what do we reap if we sow to the flesh? We reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, that is, walk in accordance with Christ's commands, we reap, we, we, uh, we uh, ascend to incorruption. We put on incorruption at the judgment seat of Christ. So there's a sowing, sowing today. But, in, in, uh, and here we might read what Dr. Thomas says on the subject concerning the sowing that is to be done at the time Christ brings those with him from the grave or causes them to emerge. The raising of grain, I'm reading from page 36 of Anastasis, the raising of grain is a process that takes months to, to perfect. And it is not said to be raised until it is ripe in the ear. When the naked seed is put into the ground, that particular seed never reappears. It dies and loses its form. It is no longer a seed body, but is succeeded by a new body, which appears above the ground. Now here's the resurrection. This is the sprout body from that sown, and therefore said to have been sown. But as Paul says, it is not the body that shall be. It has to tarry for months until it shall have received a body according to the pleasure of the Creator. Here then are three bodies of grain raising, more or less nearly related. The seed body, the sprout body, and the raised body divinely given. This third or raised body was not sown. The sprout body was the body sown because it sprouted or sprang forth from the naked grain cast into the ground. The springing forth is the third stage of the sowing process. It is first begotten in the earth. It is then quickened or made alive. And thirdly, it shall spring, it springs forth or is born. And that is, is, I think, the way we have intended to discuss this in what we have said today and in previous lessons. So, uh, is there any question then as to this sowing, raising, the natural body that is, is put into the grave, the seed body, the body that comes out of the grave, the natural body in immortality, and then the process of being raised incorruptible due to the change that takes place after the resurrection and after the approval at the judgment seat of Christ. Thus, the dead are raised incorruptible and shall be changed. Any questions?
Yes, that's right. That's the way we've attempted to express it. The process of resurrection. This, this matter of resurrection, as we say, as we said in the beginning, the opening of this lesson, it's one that's one of the most misunderstood subjects of all those that are taught in Scripture. As to uh, the, the Orthodox Christian world, the Protestant churches particularly, all teach that, yeah, Christ is coming back. He's going to raise the dead. And then what's He going to do, according to them? Huh? Take them all up to heaven. Don't raise the dead and take them up to heaven. Or another place if they don't deserve to go to heaven. That, that's one of the misunderstandings that's come out of the resurrection. Uh, another one is, well, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be raised. Yeah, that's right. And they're going to be judged. Well, here, here <coughs> the, the Orthodox Christian teaching is that at death, the soul's gone to heaven. They're there now. Well, well, that's right. That's part of the resurrection. Uh, the the, the uh, one that has that idea might say. So they're going to be brought back to heaven. Their body's going to be raised, and that soul that's been in heaven put back into it. Well, here's a man that's been dead for six for four thousand years. We'll say he's been in heaven all that time. Does it make sense then? to cause his to cause his body to be raised and that soul brought back in and him to be judged to find out whether he's been in the right place for four thousand years. That's what that that's what that theory amounts to. Then we have, as we spoke this morning, of those who say, Yes, oh there's gonna be a resurrection, that's right. It's gonna be raised immortal. Gonna find immortality in the grave. Yeah, oh yes. And uh, well what's the purpose of the resurrection? Well, uh, that's a, a rather indefinite thing, according to that theory, because they're, they're raised immortal, according to that erroneous theory. So, this is the most most uh, mixed up uh, uh, subject in the scriptures, and uh, we've tried to we've tried to uh, clarify, uh, as this author I think has helped us to do. What is the purpose of the resurrection? Uh, the process of it? All of the details aren't given us. We don't know how long the process of the resurrection is going to take. The, the, uh, as Dr. Thomas brings out, the analogy of the raising of grain. It, it can take months. There are those who have mistakenly read uh, Dr. Thomas's explanation in Eureka that it takes 10 years. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's false. Uh, it won't take any ten years. It can be over in the twinkling of an eye, but the judgment and resurrection is a process, Sister Willie said, that begins with the coming out of the body, uh, uh, coming out of the grave of the body, the standing up off on its feet, as we discussed in our in our first lesson, a reorganization, and I'll go through this again, of the dust of the responsible dead as a basis for the restoration of the personal identity of each one. That is, the formation of dust in the bodies, as we read in uh, Galatians, in Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's the first thing he does. 
in the process of resurrection again. Then the second thing is the breathing into his nostrils of the breath of life into this inert body. And uh, uh, in order that the individual is to awaken and to stand up upon his feet. That's the second thing in, in Genesis 2.7. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That is the process of resurrection. Thirdly, then the restoration of the previous personal identity. Here's our char where our characters enter this matter. They are again imposed upon us. The Lord has a record of that character. He knows exactly. Uh, there's a book of life or book of remembrance that was written. And, and, and we don't need an actual book. That's a figure of speech. But that character that we live today, sown to the flesh or to the spirit, is imposed on that body with life and uh, for the purpose of appearing at the judgment seat of Christ so that account may be given. As Paul says in Romans 14.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ right to the uh, Roman Ecclesia, not to the world. And fourth, if found righteous, then Christ bestows immortality, thus transforming or changing their natures into that of his own that he entered into 2,000 years ago nearly. This is the four-step process from formation or conception in the dust of the grave to the quickening in a life that has no end. Thus, the believer, if found worthy, is raised up and built up incorruptible, subject to change beforehand. Any question then? Have we covered the ground intelligently? before this last takes, can take place we must consider another important event which occurs when Christ returns we shall examine the scripture lesson the evidence of this in lesson 31 which comes up next week the Lord willing we go into lesson 31